You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Save big money on everything for your spring projects at Menards. We have all of your garden and landscaping essentials. Master Garden Premium Garden Soil contains a slow-release fertilizer that feeds gardens for up to nine months. It produces better results and is ready to use for all your gardening needs. Save big on Menards' great selection of garden and landscaping products. Compare brands in-store or online at Menards.com. Save big money at There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. <laughs> That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? Y'all ain't got shit on me today, man. Oh, yeah? Yeah, man, because your purviews ain't a part of my fucking Feneron, dude. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? My Feneron is my own fucking personal universe. Your Feneron? Right? I... My Feneron. It sounds like a nail company for people that don't have nails. <laughs> but that's because they lost their nails doing how hard they were studying to become initiates in the occult. I don't know how. I don't that know. they lost their nails. But they just they didn't think they were necessary. But I'm going to show you my powers. Okay. Right? Kissel? Yes? What is your favorite item from your childhood? Favorite item from my childhood. Favorite. I want you to sit there. I don't want you to tell me. Oh, I, I I'm not. Tell so, me. Okay, uh, but I have to think of it now. Visualize it, but say it kind of low. I'm gonna pretend like I can't hear it. Say it kind of low so the people at home can hear it. Okay. I'm gonna pretend like I can't hear you. The cigarettes we would steal from the store. Okay. So now I'm visualizing my head. I'm uh-huh. visualizing this object. I'm visualizing. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so that's me. Honestly, I'm just in a lot of physical pain. I hurt myself <laughs> kicking the uh, elevator button the other day. <gasps> I think Kissel, you might want to check your front right pocket. All right. <laughs> Holy shit, it's the cigarettes we stole from the store. <laughs> yeah, buddy, you the just started smoking again, buddy. You're smoking, dude. <laughs> Hell I yeah. fucking did it. You are talented. Actually, too late. I know that you're joking and it's not in your pocket. As a matter of fact, I just put the cancer just directly inside of you. <laughs> <laughs> Hellish rebuke. Welcome to the last podcast on the left, everyone. I am Ben, staring at Marcus Parks. Hi. And then we have, I guess, the newly talented Henry Zabrowski. I, I got that new talent. I found out that I could tie my shoes with my feet, which is actually very difficult because they're supposed to be on now. Yeah. But they're making them shoes thinner and thinner. Those kids... In Cambodia are getting really lazy. <laughs> well, absolutely. The new technology has saved a lot of children. They're not needed anymore, but say by saved, I mean they're dead. Uh, no longer have a purpose, but today we do have a purpose, and that purpose is to spread more truth mm-hmm. when it comes to the life of Madame Blavatsky. <laughs> Get out of my Feneron, dude. <laughs> 
So when we last left Helena Petrovna Blavatsky, the year was 1873, and she had just received a letter from one of her masters instructing her to continue her work in America. Or, at least, that's what she claimed. She's like Feifel. <laughs> yes, she got that money somehow. Yeah. And if you listen to the people who are a little more skeptical of Blavatsky's claims, HPB hightailed it to America from Russia because she knew that the spiritualist movement, i.e. talking to dead people in seances, mm. was in full swing in the States, and she wanted to take advantage. Most likely, it's a bit of both. Because if a person truly does believe that they are on a mission from the Ascended Masters to spread the word about the true nature of the universe they're most likely going to go where people are receptive to that idea. I don't even see why it's a criticism of her to say she went to go where spiritualism was at its peak. Sure. This is this is her scene. This is where she was supposed to go. It's it's her purpose. She it, it, we're going to see in episode 2. The HPB is going to go from setting the fake stage, right? Her burner life, the this beginnings that she would she would kind of manipulate depending on who she met in order for whatever, whatever purposes it served, right? She's going to come out of that world mm -hmm. into our present day. She's going to become the HPB we know. And what that takes is from someone going from their mythos they've kind of created in their head and then putting on their mythos shoes Ooh. and going outside their house and making themselves the myth they believe themselves to be. If you come to America and you truly do have the ability to speak with the dead, you're going to feel, you're going to hear a lot of Native Americans complaining <laughs> about uh, treaties being broken and overall genocide. I think you're going to start to really feel their plight. Yeah. And uh, I think that's important for all of us. <laughs> I couldn't help but notice that you put a roller coaster where my grandmother was buried. <laughs> yeah, we did. It's called Batman the Ride. Uh, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Furthermore. America was the place where women with new ideas were making waves. The year before HBB arrived, a medium, free love advocate, and so-called magnetic healer named Victoria Woodhull had become the first woman to run for president. How'd she do? <laughs> well, unfortunately, her coalition of spiritualists, communists, and free lovers was not enough to put her over the top. I interviewed Marianne Williamson, and she is my favorite. <laughs> yeah, Marianne Williamson's great. And this woman sounds just like her. Oh, yeah. Marianne man. Williamson should run a store that sells crystals, not be president. <laughs> <laughs> well, Victoria Woodhull actually spent election day in jail on obscenity charges after she published graphic details of a famous minister's affair in her newspaper, causing the press to give her the nickname Mrs. Satan. Satan, Satan, Satan. <laughs> so, uh, so what are you in for? I showed him my beaver. Oh, you did what? Yeah, I showed him my big beaver. I showed him my big old, my big old mean beaver. I didn't know that that was a crime. Yeah, it's because the beaver uh, had a gun. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, like Victoria Woodhull went back on the whole thing when she got older. She became a hardcore Christian, started yep. speaking out against free love and all of that shit, and even tried saying that other people had written some of the things that she had written uh, concerning promiscuity. Hmm. That's a fucking sellout. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So Blavatsky packed her bags and took a steamer to New York City at the age of 42. I knew you did, were going to laugh at I steamer. Mean, I don't know. The, I, did it set sail out of Cleveland? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Smells of rotten eggs. There's a new shipment of humans coming on our steamer. <laughs> Very nice. It's nice to fart your way around. <laughs> 
Well, the veiled years were over, and the city was where Madame Blavatsky would truly become the character that we know her as today. All right. And the stack of cash that Blavatsky supposedly got in the letter from the master was mostly spent on a first-class ticket, which Blavatsky said she exchanged for four steerage tickets to help out a woman and two children she found crying on the dock after they were sold fake tickets. That's fun. We don't know if that's true, though. That might be her saying she's a... A bit much, a, a little bit more of a better person than she really is. There is nothing like being tricked into buying tickets. I did this when I first got to New York. I was outside of MSG. I wanted to go see the Knicks play, but spent seventy five bucks on tickets. I went to the ticket teller and he laughed and laughed and laughed, and then he pointed <laughs> to the door and he said, "These are fake." And I was just, I felt so bad. And then I went outside in a huff mm-hmm. and I said, "Where is that guy who sold me these tickets?" And uh, he was gone. Yeah, there's not a whole Better Business Bureau for scalpers. Out there anymore. No. It's, it, it used to be the mafia. You used yeah. to be able to go to the mafia and they would fix your problems. I also have never heard of anyone in first class be like, we need more people <laughs> on this plane. They, most of the time, people with first class tickets hold on to them like, like treasured diamonds. Some of the meanest people I've ever met in my life in first class. Of course. Oh, did you just humble brag that you've been in first class? I said some of the meanest people I've ever walked by when I was going to my coach he seats. He has to go in first class so his body can fit. That's the sad truth. <laughs> so, when Blavatsky arrived in New York City, she had to find work. And she did what so many of us who come to New York seek in our fortunes do. Blavatsky started hustling. Yay! And did everything from leather work to sewing while she built her reputation as a psychic. I find this to be a... a, There's a way... I'm going to hit this again and again. I've been doing a lot of reading about theosophy. Right? I'm doing a lot of reading into the actual working mechanics of how HBB was teaching people how to read into the occult. Right, And it is difficult, and it takes a long time, and you got to do it seven times, no matter what. No matter what, that's how it goes. You You're not going to know the something. Yeah. Like, yes, you got to read it for seven, seven different ways, which is if I have to do that with dude, I'm going to go into a fucking hospital. Uh, <laughs> but when HBB, she kind of like restarts her life. She takes this throwaway past to hers. And then she comes into America because she's 42 at this time period. She comes in. She's a little bit older, which at the time is not, definitely not a spring chicken for the 1800s. You roll in and you you immediately start hustling and you, you take yourself back down to zero. So in a way, I know that she, on one level, she needed cash money and she went to go into leatherworking and it was just a job that allowed her to have a job with no experience. Get it. Yes. Well, yeah, she didn't but have it, the general to call. <laughs> if you need money, you can always call the general. Yo, you're right. I forget about him. I forget that that's an option. But he all but she also in a way like cleans a slate. Now here's HPB. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to slowly mm-hmm. work my way through by making myself a psychic appearances just straight up like I'm just a psychic that's what I do to slowly work or say work our way through a bunch of people that have a lot of cash money as well well and she has a lot of life experience going to Tibet Mm -hmm. spending time in Russia all over South America well if she did all that Let's just say she did. <laughs> well, if she's got the dropsy, I was looking at a lot of pictures of dropsy earlier, and when your feet start to look like ice cream, it is very difficult to hike. It is difficult, but it can be done. Now, like us here at Last Podcast, Blavatsky depended on word of mouth, talking to acquaintances and neighbors about elementals and unseen powers whenever she could. Egregonians, bro. Hell yeah. Interesting. So this is a case where you want to tell people 
what what's your angle here? Oh, keep this a secret, knowing that they can't. Do you tell the loudest yes. drunk in the community? How do you? What's the first <laughs> you are, you way exactly, of getting again, going viral? You are. Ah, wow. Your brain. Do you do you have like a hole, like literally physically in your head that slowly <laughs> the information is slowly sliding through? It's true. That's yeah. exactly how it happens. That's oh, what you got to do. See, I'm. That's why I'm creative. Well, you got to tell the local drunks. You got to tell uh, the more sociable uh, housewives. You got to tell the people that are going to go and tell other people. You know, essentially, you're going to find people that are kind of bored and yes. people who do a lot of talking. The town drunk just used to be a TV channel. <laughs> yeah. Do you think how many subscribers did you get us in the very beginning? Just grabbing people's phones <laughs> and subscribing to us just with your hands. I still do it. <laughs> Yeah, I still do it, and then they forget they even did it, and then we still get the number. Yeah, bro. The thing was that Blavatsky could also reportedly walk the walk. According to witnesses in those early days, Blavatsky had knowledge of deep personal secrets that belonged to the people she talked to. Secrets known only to them or close family members. There was no way she could have known this shit. Oh, so she just was able to deduce, like Sherlock Holmes, that like everyone was doing horrible things behind the scenes. I mean, literally, 1870s, she'd be like, you're a child killer. Whoa! How did she know How that? did she know I left little Billy near the well? <laughs> I mean, isn't that just what John Edwards does crossing over, John Edwards? Don't you just sort of like throw a bunch of stuff? Be like, I look at Marcus and be like, you fucked cat. <laughs> I don't know. Is that what you see when you look at Tommy? That's that was the, that was the first thing you thought when you looked at me is you fucked a cat. I, I didn't want to say cow because it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to be humorous. I did neither, sir. I know. He's I never know. done it. He's only made love to full, almost fully human women. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that this is a, a beginner's ability. Yes, one example, Kissels, you're correct. The shysters. Right. People that take this stuff and they, they will th throw shit at the wall to try to see what connects with you. They look at your eyes. They take facial cues. They look at the way you hold yourself. They kind of, they dig around and try to find it. Because mostly if you're arriving to a psychic, you are looking for something. Yep. Quote, well, number one, you're missing somebody. Number two, looking for money, looking for love, looking for these things. So you already there wanting something. So right. a psychic a lot of times will see, okay, how do I figure out what it is that you want? Why are you here? I just have to kind of float some stuff and see how your face twitches. Yeah, you look but down, you see they don't have any shoes on, and they're like, you're here for sneakers, are you? <laughs> My God, you're incredible, <laughs> Madame Footlocker. But I, but there's also some people like Anton LaVey. These some an LRH too had a natural ability to read people. Cult leaders have this quite often. They have that ability to find a mark because some because what a cult leader is doing or something somebody like HPB or LRH is that they're not looking to just get your money like a normal psychic. They want your soul. They want your identity, and that's a deeper Damn. game. You have to. It's it's a slower roll, and you really have to figure out what are the juicy secrets you can suss out, especially if you're very good at it. Mm -hmm. And what's the difference between just being a con man and having magical glamour? I don't know. So you're saying Madame Blavatsky is a Cenobite, <laughs> straight out of Hellraiser? I love. God, I wish there was a new Hellraiser. Oh, man, there That's... was one, but he, but he, he, the fat Hellraiser failed us all. It was it was a horrible <laughs> fat pinhead. Well, the hustle days ended when Blavatsky's father died, and she came into quite the inheritance. 
She moved into a hotel, lived the high life, and invested in a chicken farm in Long Island owned by a one Countess Garebko. Ah, I love it. How many times I wake up and be like, what did I do last night? (laughs) Oh my God, I invested in a chicken farm on Long Island with Countess Garebko. (laughs) What are all these feathers doing in my pussy? I don't know why I'm talking. Um, What is, and this is a true question, what's a count? Account? What is a count? How do you oh, become you a mean countess? Like a, a count, a count. What is a count? It's like I know a, it's dukes. Like a, I know kings. Describe what a duke is, though. You say you know what that is. <laughs> you want to know what a duke is? Yeah. God damn it, Henry. It. You know I want to talk about dukey now and poop, <laughs> but a duke yep. is someone within the royal family that brings it, the children from the orphanage to the prince, and then yes, the prince yes. casts out the children, and anyone that passes goes to the king. They're the elbows of the human trafficking supply chain. Yes. yes. But the, but I think a countess and a count, maybe I'm wrong, I'm certain, feel free to correct us, side stories, L-P-O-T-L at gmail.com, but I think a count is very honorary. I think you kind of get named one if you saw a bunch of kids go into a U-Haul and you just went, blah, 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 just covered your eyes. Then you get to be a count. I I always play the theme to Jurassic Park when I see child prostitution happening. (laughs) (laughs) I think it goes king, duke, count, and then everybody else. Then everybody, the serfs. Yeah, serfs, the serfs, exactly. Yeah, count is, yeah, I think the lowest of the nobility. I see. But... That version of Madame Blavatsky getting the inheritance, living the high life, investing in a chicken farm, that's the Gary Lockman version. Mm. Marion Mead wrote that the inheritance was modest, and the most Blavatsky could afford was a room above a saloon, which she quickly set fire to with her chain smoking, (laughs) and then accused the firefighters who saved her of stealing her watch. Difficult woman. I like both versions of the woman. I think yeah, I both versions too. of HPB are a funny lady that I would like to be around. Like this or her just been like, goddamn firefighters stealing my damn watch. I know what they're looking for. Like that's how my mom always felt about firefighters all the stuff. Be like, they just come in here looking at the jewelry. And I was like, mom, they are civil servants. Well, I mean, Your, our, my father was a police officer. I mean, one well. version one version is Madame Blavatsky and the other version is Helen. Yeah. <laughs> I really like this. I want to start delineating where is Helen and where is HPB? I love firefighters, but they'll steal from you. They <laughs> They will. They will. Well, I, we had the firefighters kids down the street. And I remember that the oldest daughter used to have sex on the stoop of the uh, corner store with her boyfriend. And oh. I think they're fine. And the other two kids, <laughs> they used to torture me and my sister. But then they set fire to an old lady's house across the street. But they seem to be, I don't know where they are. They probably are, <laughs> honestly, they, they might be in the government. They, they might sound, be congressmen. They sound like the redheaded kid from Toy Story just <laughs> hanging out with a bunch of decrepit toys, half-burned Batmans that their father was able to that's save. What, that's what they did. And then the fireman, the fireman, we call them firemen's kids, the fireman was never around because he was a lazy fireman. It's what my father over My father and the, the, the difference was between the police and the fire department. He's just like, I at least got to go to the bar to drink. They just drink at their jobs. And I was like, but dad, you're also drinking at your job. He's like, yeah, but I go to the bar like a lot. <laughs> Two, you know. <laughs> All right. Well, Madame Blavatsky was starting to form a pretty good local reputation. So building off of that local reputation, she did an interview with a reporter for the New York Star named Hannah Wolf, making claims that she'd fought with the Italians versus the French while rapidly rolling cigarette after cigarette with one hand. Do you remember that very funny 
theosophy lecture I sent you, Marcus. Yes. Where the guy, the guy who given it, Michael Gomez, one of the authors of the books we've been working, he called her. He's like, uh, and I guess that uh, HPB was the very definition of a holy roller. And the audience went nuts. <laughs> they fucking lost their minds. I'm not going to lie to you. I got it. And I, I get it. And I think it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Bunkers. <laughs> so she's a kick-ass, she's a kick-ass chick here. I mean, yeah. obviously in the story, perhaps she made up. She's definitely Marlboro's version of a kick-ass chick. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if just smoking cigarettes makes you very cool, then she's like super, like, tongueless, no jaw cool. <laughs> Well, Wolf claimed that after the interview, HPB tried becoming a professional writer and submitted a humorous satire about the United States government to Wolf for an edit. Wolf was a reporter, so HPB was like, I want to become a writer. Here, look at thing. Oh. But according to Wolf's sources, Blavatsky's submission was a word-for-word copy of a Russian satire with the words Russia and Tsar crossed out and replaced with United States and President. Oh, I'm going to put on my uh, Ben Kissel, who tended to cheat quite a bit in high school hat. That is not the same, then, is it? Because one is talking about a czar in Russia, and the other is talking about a president in America. So you tell me, you tell me, teacher, why you gave me the F. But on a subtle occult way, Kissel, what it does show that, yes, you might call this plagiarism. You might call it um, stealing content. She, and again, she might be the Carlos Mencia of the occult movement. But in some way, what it does show is that thematically, um, it actually uh, echoes the Buddhist principle, uh, oh, the jewel in the lotus, which means mm. I am that I am, and I am in thee and thou art in me. And the mm. microcosm meets the macrocosm, Kissel, where yeah. if one... So, yes, it might be one sort of satire in another country, but here it's an, it's all the same. See? It's all the same. Sure. One, mind, one universal mind. Carlos Mencia is probably my favorite Mexican because he's German. <laughs> Not Mexican. That's a joke. I love my Mexican people. All of them. Uh, but my God, yeah. But regardless of Blavatsky's career choices at the time, both Lockman and Mead agree that this was around the time that Madame Blavatsky met her number one acolyte, a 42-year-old lawyer in an unhappy marriage named Henry Steele Alcott. Ooh. Now, Alcott could be described by cynics as nothing more than a blind fool taken in by empty promises of spiritual understanding and power, an easily manipulated puppy who followed Blavatsky without question for years until the whole thing blew up in his face. Hmm. Like Carol Baskin's husband. <laughs> He's loving it, man. She keeps him happy. You know what I mean? Oh, she must. But looked at another way, Alcott could also be described as a man who yearned for an unconventional life in a time when the opportunities for such were scant, and he saw HPB as the person who could make that dream a reality. There's something about just the fashions of the time, I think, that makes me see, like, because, you know, the pictures are all super serious, and Henry Olcott has that big, like, farmer's, like, serious man beard and he's got the serious glasses on and he looks mm-hmm. like a serious very like put together and buttoned up person and right. I, I think it's partially got to do with the fashion of the time but you find out like you look at all these serious ass pictures you look at all these serious ass pictures and you're like Olcott was actually fucking freaky deaky yeah it's like the opposite it's like he, he was fucking and getting hammered, and he was looking for a license to love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Very interesting. My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. 
She shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it. But guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the Aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional. And we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific time, only on Netflix. Now, Alcott was no dummy. Even though he was a bit of a womanizer and a party boy at times, so much so that HBB called him, in the parlance of the Times, a quote-unquote gay dog. <laughs> oh, my. You should see how gay of a dog Kissel and I can be when we, when we can leave our homes. My goodness, a 42-year-old stinky farmer party boy. <laughs> Who doesn't want to hang out with that dude? That's the gayest dog I've met since Rick James. <laughs> Uh-oh, uh-oh, I'm hearing a sniffle. Is that gay dog? Get over here. <laughs> but despite being a party boy, he was also one of the three men commissioned to investigate the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. I can't put him 
on the bottle of Cabana Boy, okay? <laughs> Can we not say Party Boy? He's a 42-year-old farmer who gets hammered. He's not a farmer. He just he's not a farmer. He's not a farmer. He's just a the, farmer's he's look. He's the definition of the fucking city boy. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's a city boy. He's a lawyer. I he's see. a lawyer. He's like, he's just fucking all wrapped up in the fucking bullshit that he's got to do all day, man. He's fucking, <laughs> what's his name? Was it Tom Hanks? What's the movie with the man with one red shoe? He's looking for an adorkable like funny like kind of out of the box girl that will maybe show him the errors of his fucking button up ways if a man ever calls you adorkable you can pull a gun and shoot him well Alcott had also been into mesmerism clairvoyance and magnetic healing when he was younger but after he married the daughter of an Episcopalian rector in 1860 She'd forbidden anything that might be interpreted as devilish. Rector. Thank you. Dang near. <laughs> Rector. Do it. Do it. <laughs> Complete it. <laughs> Finish the ritual. Calf to. We cannot continue the show until you. Complete this. Rector. Dang near got her a free soda at Golden Corral. <laughs> Isn't that. It's just getting worse. <laughs> Now, the anti-HBB crowd claimed that Blavatsky lured Alcott away from his wife and children using either feminine wiles or promises that she could provide the sorts of spiritual knowledge and power that Alcott had long sought. But Alcott was already in the process of divorcing his wife by the time he crossed paths with Madame Blavatsky, although one could say that completely abandoning one's family to pursue the occult might not be the most reasonable choice for a man to make. Uh, I mean, I don't know about that one, Doug. Man, there's a lot of people, and that sounds pretty attractive. Real question: That that must have been very controversial. It was pretty divorce in the 1800s. It's New York City. It's not as big of a deal. It's a bit more cosmopolitan around here. But it's but honestly, I'm with Kissel. It it is interesting to see how these pockets show up throughout all history. Where in the middle of like. Oh, very interesting, conflicted time, especially in America. Like, as we were growing, you you know, mixtures of, like, religious movements, like, very conservative movements, but then also this kind of free love stripe that was also happening. Like, he he found his spot of freaks. I think that he was bought, he was, like, raised mm. in a world that he was supposed to do X, Y, Z, just like HPB, and all of a sudden... It's like, of course he was into mesmerism. That's where all the freaky chicks were. Mm. That's where all the fun-ass dudes were. They were all like like always, like it's always been. Over in the, the witchy corners where you got all your cool friends that like got, can't make the football team because they can't lift up, they can't even put wrist weights on, but they're doing magic. They're making cups shit appear, and sometimes you, they're wearing like see-through shirts. Oh my <laughs> goodness. Mes- mesmerine. Mes- mesmerine. Mesmerism. Mesmerism. That's very useful if you want to be in a spelling bee. It does not indicate intelligence, however. A spelling bee? Yes. It's just about memorization. Oh, so the, oh, so this is where this is beca- taken to. You've decided to <laughs> attack spelling bees. <laughs> you ain't smarter than me. <laughs> I did yell at that. I did yell at the TV. I could see you <laughs> with the fucking year. tall boy in the back of one of those being like a kid's being like zonicism. <laughs> Zonicism. I tremble at the use of a zonicism that my father does. Okay. X. Z. It's smarter than me! <laughs> I tell you, you nine-year-old Indian boy, I'm a CEO of a company. 
<laughs> I I would prefer if there was more heckling at the spelling bee. It would make it more interesting. <laughs> Fucking that and like air horns. <laughs> the Venezuela. <laughs> One girl in the front row who can open her shirt and show her tits to all the little boys to see if they can still spell. Add some flair to it. That's all we're saying. You guys done talking about tits? Yeah. I thought we were talking about spelling bees. No, Alcott and HPB didn't meet in New York, but rather in the small town of Chittenden, Vermont. I don't know where Chittenden is. It's up there it, somewhere. It's uh. in it's in Fuckface County. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I listened to Ed and Lorraine talk about Chittenden, Vermont, and they're meant to be like, uh, big thing about Chittenden. It's just a speck of a city. <laughs> and if you go back now, it's still just a speck of a city. Really? It's right by Dingleberry, I think. <laughs> well, both of them, Alcott and HBB, have been drawn to Chittenden by stories of the Eddie brothers, who had made headlines by supposedly levitating and physicalizing spirits. Hmm. They claimed to be able to summon dead men, women, and children who would sing, dance, play music, and even fight duels with swords if prodded in the right direction. This was, of course, all classic spiritualism. Good old-fashioned American spiritualism. God, I wish that was real. All right. Well, man. According to people who went to the Eddie Brothers, they said that they saw full-on bodies. They saw full-on apparitions. Full torso vapors. Really? Yeah, full torso vapors. And they, they would go and they would see these things full on. And I mean, who knows? And then a lot of wraps, things flying around, phantom lights. Is it possible, though, they were able to pull off a, a show like that? Well, we'll get into okay. that. Now, according to Gary Lockman, spiritualism had an entirely different history than the one we know. We know spiritualism as the paranormal fad of the 1800s, pretty much just entertainment for the people. Mm-hmm. But Lockman claims that it sprung from an argument between various 19th century occultists. See, occultists of that time were split on whether or not they should tell the people what they knew. Because after all, the word occult itself means hidden or secret. Hmm. On one side, you had people more in line with the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. They believed that knowledge of the higher realms should be kept a secret lest it be profaned (laughs) by the general public. Yeah, because they just used it to make people shit, Kissel. Do you remember last episode? (laughs) Hellish rebuke! (laughs) Not surprisingly, those people tended to be richer folk who saw occultism as something that set them apart from the common rabble. Because after all, if everyone knows about it, then it's no longer exclusive. Not much has changed. It might have. E- it might even lose some of its juice. Yeah, I get that. I understand. On the other side, though, you had occultists who thought that anything and everything they knew should be readily available for anyone who wanted to know it, and it was their responsibility to instruct society in the ways of the spirit realm and the occult. They thought that the well was infinite. God. See, this is so. Some want the McDonald's route. They just want to. They want to get in franchise. The, they want to franchise it. They want to franchise it. In a way, they just think that this is, this knowledge should be open to all. Yeah. But then you also have some people who want to go the Cattleman's route, which was an amazing steak place in Oklahoma City. <laughs> where Stay indie. I'm I'm sort of going with the Cattleman's route here. But I mean, somewhat. I mean, it depends on if you think that magical, you know, magical power is a finite resource or not. Uh, and it also depends on if those people that are saying that magical power is a finite resource are really just creating false scarcity in order to keep it all to themselves. It's an interesting concept. If, if you go to com, 
they have an incredible collection of theosophic writings and textbooks. Now, this is this is where I'm going to start more and more of my talk about how to read the occult. I have discovered just how stupid I am. I am at the very foot of the mountain. I have no idea. I have read enough to now know I don't know a fucking single thing. Mm-hmm. But there is an incredible textbook that is in the Blavatsky archives. It's called An Introduction to Esoteric Principles. It is a study course by William Duss McDavid. I d- hope he is not guilty of any crimes. <laughs> I'm not certain. I haven't checked it. But one thing he talks about how in the days of Atlantis, oh, to go back. <laughs> that was when everyone, the first three root races, which we'll get to next episode, the first three root races were openly taught thought, this kind of occult thought. It was the Atlanteans that said, we need to start controlling the ship. What they kind of say is that through, the, through time, occultists kind of went their way through higher class people, like nobility. They kind of found their way, people with the secret knowledge found their ways to insinuate themselves, very similar to David Icke, they mm. found their ways to insinu- insinuate themselves in various, what you call the secret schools, which are may, may or may not be real. We're not quite certain if they're real. But there are some people that talk about it. It seemed to be a lot of it was kind of like a little club or game even to begin with. But they believed this, this right-hand, left-hand path, like, argument about whether or not we should be teaching these things to everyone it's been going on forever. And this is kind of what happened to Tibet, which is why she went to Tibet, is that all of the occultists at this period of time sort of like coalesce at the very end in Tibet. And that's where they opened up the last true secret school that Blavatsky went to. Well, I think the secret school, everyone knows how to get there. It's in a train terminal. It's like 18 and three-fourths or something like that. I'm not sure exactly what they did in I, Harry I've Potter. I've heard, I think it's nine and three-quarters. Yeah, I've heard that. This isn't fucking Harry My- Potter. This isn't goddamn, that's what they want it to be. They want it to yes. be Harry Potter, and it's not. It's more subtle, and it's actually less useful. And of course, you're the one who's gone to Harry Potter land and realized it's just about getting your dad drunk enough to buy you a super expensive stick. <laughs> Uh, my favorite root race is, of course, Groot. I am Groot. Love that. So they created scarcity, and then it, that raises the demand, much it, to like what Funko does. Uh, Funko, or, or I would actually, I would say a, a more apt comparison is diamonds. You know, where diamonds uh. are really not all that scarce. There's enough diamonds for everybody, but the diamond industry creates a false scarcity. They make us think that diamonds are actually extremely rare, so that way they can make them much more expensive than they're actually worth. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but they also, you know, but they don't know. Neither one of them really, neither, none of these fucking people know, like, the source of magic. They don't know how, if it's infinite. They don't know if it's finite. Uh, but the people that are on, more like the, they would call it the left wing, uh, say that it is infinite. And if we teach everybody, then we will all raise the consciousness mm-hmm. of humanity and we will reach those, the highest level of consciousness that much faster. Everyone knows the source of magic is beans. <laughs> Beans, beans, the fruit, it may, it's food that makes your body make noises. <laughs> Am I a radio now? <laughs> well, the claim is that these occultists, the ones on the right and the ones on the left, came to a compromise concerning telling the people an experiment would be performed upon the general public to see how they would react to otherworldly phenomena. Oh my god, this is like what Facebook does. <laughs> it's just like them, and I can't wow. wait to see phase four when they have the giant Facebook robots that can recognize us on sight and know our sins. <laughs> <laughs> well, the claim is that that experiment was spiritualism. 
that it was actually the occultists of the time were actually behind the spiritualist movement, and this was an experiment to see if the general public could handle it, if they were ready for it just yet. Okay. But this proposes a world where there is the, a group, uh, there is a committee, there is a group of people that these secret schools are real, and that's also up for debate. But it's, I think it's fascinating. Yeah. It's a cool fucking idea. Absolutely. From what it seems, HPB passed the test. She surmised that, yes, some of these spiritualists were communicating with something, but she did not believe that they were communicating with the dead as they claimed. As we said last episode, she thought that these manifested spirits that the spiritualists were claiming to contact during seances were not at all dead loved ones and deceased historical figures, as was often claimed. Rather, these were spirits who were merely inhabiting the decaying shells of the dead that had been left behind when the immortal souls previously contained therein had moved on to the higher realms. Did that make sense? That's scary as hell. Yes, it made sense. It's horrifying. (laughs) This is the way I've come to understand it. Ready-made tulpas are the memories of your loved ones. They're the husks of the memories that you project out into the world. Egregonians... Nameless creatures of the uh, the ether world, of the astral plane, the goblins, the gnomes, the aliens that we speak of often, right? They come in and move into the basically abandoned tulpas of mm. the remembrance of the the memories that you have of your uncle. And then they can make your uncle do all sorts of shit. Oh, my God, <laughs> including uh, collecting action figures at an older age. <laughs> Don't throw shade at Mike Lawrence on our show. He's a very professional. No, he's an OG. Think- he, de- he never stopped collecting action figures. That's a big difference. If you start at 40, man. Also, if you want to know more about the Egregonians, read The Hidden Universe by Anthony Peake. So much of this shit is like, I feel like I should have gotten high before the episode just to be- guess to match how high I was when I read all of this shit (laughs) to understand it. Well, HPB was actually disgusted by the displays of weeping and rejoicing often seen at these seances. To her, these spirits were the dregs of dead personalities. They were the passions, the thoughts, and the vices that cannot follow a liberated soul after death. It's essentially the negative uh, leavings of a personality. Sounds like the turd in a punch bowl right now. <laughs> Why would I it mean? Is. Just let these people be moved if they want to be. Try to ruminate on this, Kissel. The body is the rind of the fruit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you call me gay? You call me gay? No, I'll ruminate on that for a while. <laughs> However. These beliefs were most likely a riff on the already existing theories of novelist Edward Bulwer-Lytton, who said close to the same thing concerning spiritualist phenomena. Now, of course, you could claim that this is a ripoff, but this is exactly how occultism works, at least as far as I can tell. One theory builds on another, which builds on another, and before you know it, you got a whole new way of thinking. Going into the world of comic books for just a moment, you know, specifically the Invisibles. Always. Always, because it's anytime we talk about magic, got to come back to the Invisibles because the Invisibles is the most modern example of a successful magical ritual. And it's the easiest comic book to draw. How many times have I done that joke when he you mentions the Invisibles? You are rushing it today. <laughs> The Invisibles is in itself a gigantic magical ritual highly steeped in the occult. It's a pastiche of hundreds of different occult sources and existing fictional narratives all put together to form something that was entirely new. It's 21st century occult thinking Mm -hmm. and occult working. 
Concerning Blavatsky's influences, though, it's quite possible that Edward Bulwer-Lytton was one of Blavatsky's so-called masters, if you subscribe to the theory that master was merely a name Blavatsky gave to men who showed her respect in the occult world. Hmm. Also was her source, and she, one of her sources, one of these people. So what she did was, being a storyteller, HPB meet the, would meet these real occult masters or called people that believe that have become people in the same world as her with the same level of interest and the same amount of resources mm-hmm. and she would go and basically borrow their personality and say you're now a cast of one of my characters you've become my, one of my masters and I bet you Edward Bulwer Lighton actually loved that kind of shit because then you get to be part of the mystery yeah. so he would help foster it I'm happy she went with the word master, not daddy, because <laughs> oh, that yeah, would have been weird. The, they, there's a whole podcast about it, and it's doing very well. <laughs> and make no mistake about it, people like bulwer Lighton were everywhere in the 19th century. This truly was the heyday for occultism and magic when it came to all that being a big part of the culture. And there were all sorts of people trying to cash in on the phenomena while also backstabbing and backbiting. These dudes fucking hated each other. But yeah. why was it that the masters, the true, the like, the thinking people, the philosophers, always just seem to happen to be super rich, right? <laughs> they always seem to be able to be able to do that. And then the spiritualists kind of a lot of times come, it seemed to me in my mind, come from more working class backgrounds yeah. where they see that they are trying to jump on the, my, my sister can make her knuckles crack real loud and the farm is not doing good and we got to do this before father beats us all to death. <laughs> they sound a little bit like the UFO community. Somewhat. Yeah. Well, is this a burn? No, it's not a burn. I'm just saying those, those backs are bitten more than, than Marv Albert. That is a Marv Albert 1990s wow, joke. That's a pretty Christ good one. Kissel. That's a pretty good one for those of you who don't know, Marv Albert was a sportscaster who... This is going to take 20 minutes to describe it for anybody under the age of 35. Jokes are only funny if you have to explain them. Yes. But it's true. There is That's the same bitterness, right? Is that Tom DeLonge could come in and buy his way into a legitimate avenue in ufology where, like, you know, most of the foot soldiers of MUFON... They truly are foot soldiers, meaning they cannot afford a car. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for an example of these guys going at each other's throats back in the 1800s, the Eddie brothers, who are the whole reason why HPB and Henry Steele Alcott got together, were, like so many other spiritualists, eventually outed as frauds. Mm. The guy that took them down was a stage magician named Chung Ling Su. Oh, he came all the way from Asia. (laughs) Must have. Well, interestingly, Chung Ling Su was a fraud himself, whose Mm. real name was William Ellsworth Robinson. What? white guy, then. Oh, he's a white guy. He was an Englishman. What? Uh, Okay, hold on a second. (laughs) And and he only took the name Chung Ling Su out of spite after getting into a magical spat with a real Chinese magician named Ching Ling Fu. I, uh, this is where... In the year 2020, I I can't go into a caricature of um, Chung Ling Su, uh, even though it is quite appropriate. But I'm sitting here festering in free speech, Dale. I built a copy of my body out of my own, my appeal papers. I've torn up and made into a crude paper mache that I have put into a form of my body reading, reading the hidden universe. I did a whole fake cover of it. Eventually I will escape. (laughs) Well, William Robinson's career ended abruptly when a modified gun accidentally fired a real bullet 
in the midst of his famous bullet catch trick, and the otherwise named Chung Ling Su died on stage like Brandon Lee. <laughs> yeah, that would be a hell of a performance to see, though. Oh, man, apparently. Man. Well, the thing is about Chung Ling Su is uh, when he was on stage, he would pretend like he couldn't speak English. That's kind of how mm-hmm. he got away from it. Uh, he pretended like he couldn't speak English, but the moment he got shot, he went, Oh, God, something's wrong. Oh, my God. <laughs> so he, ju- he was just Mickey Rooney. He was just Mickey Rooney in, like, every role that Mickey Rooney had in the 50s for some reason. But if that's why he's not the greatest performer of all time. You got to hold it. Yeah. You got to hold it. Honestly, you know what? It turned out Mickey Rooney was actually seven foot two. (laughs) (laughs) But the fraudulent nature of the Eddie brothers didn't matter to Henry Steele Alcott. For him, the real story in Chittenden was the captivating Russian who just barreled her way onto the East Coast occult scene. Alcott first saw the mop-haired Helena Blavatsky sitting around a communal table wearing a bright red shirt, and for some reason, both her physical appearance and her overall demeanor enthralled Henry Steele Alcott. Okay. HBB was on the, honestly, the cusp of fashion at the time. She wore this, cut at the time, wearing, like, military gear was, like, the, the like, most hot couture, haute couture thing that you could do. Yeah. She had this, like, military outfit on. And this is where I think she just has something about her. There's something magical. People fall in love with her all the time. She has what's called glamour. She has that that ability where someone goes because you look at a sea of browns and grays. Right. And there's that mop-headed, dropsy-footed woman with the big <laughs> red shirt on, and she's just like, I'll suck your dick through your pants, and you won't even know I'm sucking your dick. Like, she's, like, saying, like, weird shit, and you're like, what? And she's just like, magic. Yeah. You just got magic, and you were just sucked right in. That's amazing. So he's like, let me be... Your Iraq to my wait. Let me let let. I want to say something about Norman Schwarzkopf, <laughs> and I want to say that he is Iraq is and she's it? Norman Schwarzkopf, and he wants her to invade him. I don't know. Does this episode take place in 1998? <laughs> like, does the are, are you are you in your own Feyron? Are you in your own Feyron? Where it is 1998 to you, MJ Just. Did you watch The Last Dance and think it was live? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the whole relationship between Henry Steele Alcott and Madame Blavatsky, I mean, it wasn't really sexual. Um, At least that's what they said. And Madame Blavatsky, despite what Henry said about sucking dick through pants. I know. Madame Blavatsky was not a sexual person in any way whatsoever. Yes. She did not like it. She felt that those were above, which is even in her various instructions. She talks about how, because her, to her sexuality, added to magic, made everything black. Black magic, mm-hmm. and she was very. She was not into the baser needs of the body, yeah. mm. except so, for food. Except well, you got to have something in your life. She did love food, absolutely. So, based on her opinions about tulpas and her overwhelming presence of character at the Eddie Farm, Alcott wrote a glowing piece about the Eddies featuring HPB for the New York Daily Graphic. From then on, he and Blavatsky were close friends, or as HPB called them. Chums. Cool. In fact, within a week, the two already had nicknames for each other. Real cute ones, too. (laughs) To HBB, Alcott was Maloney. 
Well, all caught. Maloney? Referred, yeah, Maloney. Maloney. Like, what was he? Old was Maloney he in disher- over there? Was he in the police academy causing a bunch of chaos? What's going on? It is weird because also in my mind now I just see Henry Olcott as Steve Gutenberg cast in the film. <laughs> it was Mahoney, but close enough. And Olcott referred to the Madame as either Jack or Old Horse. I like yeah, Jack better for some reason. When you call me Old Horse, it kind of makes me feel bad. Do you have any idea how many horses I've fallen off of? Stop mentioning them. <laughs> my pussy's upside down because of that. Do you know that? That my organs are, are literally tied in a knot like those sex tricks people do with cherry stems? Well, Bobotsky and Alcott were inseparable, although the attraction, Alcott said, was soul to soul, not sex to sex. Mm. Now, after the article about the Eddies and HPB was printed, a skeptic named Dr. Beard visited Chittenden himself and joined the growing chorus of debunkers when it came to the Eddie's ability to physically manifest spirits. Hello, my name's Dr. Montague Beard, and I'm here to, I am going to debunk the living hell out of this story, and this is my wife. Hi, I'm the wife of Dr. Beard. I love sex with him. Let's just go. I'm, you know what, all of this has put me in a tizzy. I'm going to go have sex. Let's go <laughs> have sex after this. Yeah, let's k- kiss. <laughs> well, after two days at the farm, Dr. Beard surmised that the Eddies were partially using electric current to create the phenomena, and he claimed he could do the same with the right tools and $3 worth of secondhand drapery. So, H- but then they said, "Fucking go do it." Yeah. Well, HPV wrote a scathing response, calling Doctor Beard a publicity-seeking headhunter, going around causing what she called flapdoodles, which was among her favorite words when it came to debunkers. Okay, I know we live in a pretty conservative world when it comes to verbiage, and I want to apologize, Marcus. Flap, <laughs> flapdoodle. I don't know if that's acceptable. I bet you right now we got a couple of flapdoodles listening to this episode. Whoa, buddy! Is it magic? There's no magic in the world. You're a bunch of... And I'm going to use the other term that I learned from Natalie called muggles. Whoa! That means they're people. Wow, we go there. Did you say that? I did. (laughs) Bunch of child raping flapdoodles. (laughs) In addition, HPB offered Dr. Beard $500 if he was able to recreate what the Eddies were able to do. Damn, how much is that in today's money? Tens of thousands of dollars. huge. Now, it might be that the Eddies were masters of their craft, and it really was pretty fucking hard to do what they did, even if it was fake. But Dr. Beard did not take HPB up on her offer. However, it could also be argued that even Blavatsky didn't believe the Eddies. To her, spiritualism was nothing more than a gateway into occultism, which, of course, was Madame Blavatsky's main bag. Hmm. Well, do you remember when she went back home after her 10 years of being on the road or wherever the hell she was, when she got met to Russia, shit would just, like, fly around her. So... To her, all of this was just fucking, this is bullshit side effects. This is all just kind of the afterthought, the radiation of my magical abilities makes all of these things happen. And so if that's just what these people are doing, where they are just sort of like little magnets for activity, and then they try to figure out a way to do it on cue, she knows I actually can do it on cue if I want to. Right. maybe sometimes we got to zhuzh the performance Mm -hmm. with some real magic. Mm-hmm. 
The great irony of all this, though, is that while HPB did not believe in spiritualism as the public perceived it, she was forced to defend the practice in order to further her own agenda, which just sort of muddled her message uh, for later skeptics. Hmm. But concerning spiritualists, the real story of the Eddies is far darker than what it appeared to be. See, the Eddie brothers were epileptic, and when they would have fits and spells as children, their father would douse them with boiling water and place hot coals in their hands to try and cure them of their affliction. But when the infamous spiritualist frauds known as the Fox Sisters started making bank in New York, the elder Eddie turned the brothers into a sideshow, touring them bound and gagged and nailed in suffocating boxes, pricking them with needles and wires to give the appearance of paranormal phenomenon. Now do you feel bad for Michael Jackson? <laughs> yeah, I do. That sounds horrible. That's very sad for these poor kids. But did it work? Yeah, it did. It did work. It did work. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But um, but on the other hand, they're all. But it's not. This is not like to the level of like the Cardiff Giant. They weren't making tens of thousands of dollars in mm. you know their time. I mean, they're making like you know twenty bucks here, ten bucks there. Right. But they're doing spots. They're doing spots. Yeah. Okay. But perhaps it was this fantastically fucked up childhood that gave the Eddies the haunted look in their eyes that was necessary to become successful spiritualists. Uh, it's coming to be Father's Day, kids, and I would just like a fucking thank you. <laughs> yes, I understand. I poked you with needles, put you in a box, and made you a sideshow freak. But say it now. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Regardless of their origin, though, it was the coverage of the Eddies that put Madame Blavatsky on the map. After her feud with Dr. Beard, she did an interview with the editor of the New York Daily Graphic, in which she claimed that her husband, Nikifor Blavatsky, was 74 when they got married, while she claimed to be just 16 at the time of their union. It was not quite that. It was like the, he was about in his early 40s. She was, I think, 18, somewhere. Yeah, but the other one is a better story. Yeah, it's Talk a lie. But it shows that Blavatsky was a fast study in the ways of PR. Mm. See, the life story she gave in this interview was described as a frustrating mix of exaggeration, tall tale, and spiritual seriousness. But that made for an entertaining read that caught people's attention, particularly those with a curious mind concerning the occult. But then, of course, um, journalists realized their mistake, and they didn't want to—they didn't want to spread lies anymore. They and don't want to do they, that, and they've always no. said that. And that's where—that's where it started. That's why we only have honest media, honest that never spin a story. No, no, for their benefit. <laughs> their benefit. They're like servants. Mm -hmm. But HPB understood again. We've—this is, I think, where she probably gets her most hate, which I think a lot of people get hate. Same time, same thing with Anton Lavey. Anton Lavey who is not a great guy but understood you got to you got to create this is a crude way of putting it but you got to create a Tony the Tiger. Uh, you have to create somebody that can sell the product. You right. have to create an image that will will show people that you are as mystic as you say you are. You have to mm -hmm. do this type of shit. And she understood very early that it's about getting them in the door and then we'll deal with it afterwards. Well, mm -hmm. absolutely. And that's why they went with Snap, uh, Crackle, and Pop because they know pedophiles are up early because that's when <laughs> kids go to school and you want to lure them in. And pedophiles eat children's cereal so they can better understand what kids like and what kids want. And what better than a bunch of little elves selling you the cereal because they're the size 
boys have children, exactly. but they're legal to fuck. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Now I have to go eat my Keeblers. <laughs> <laughs> Strangely, though, all this press also garnered HPB romantic attention. A man from the country of Georgia, not the state, the country, cool. you know, over near Russia. Sure. His name was Michael C. Bettinelli, and he read these articles and wrote to Henry Steele Alcott, asking if a meeting with HPB could be arranged, because Bettinelli had apparently fallen in love. Yep. Just through j- just, just through the media? Just the reading the articles, yeah. Oh, she's just a fucking firecracker, man. Mm-hmm. There's cool. something about her. People love that magical lilt in her eye. You think, like, because maybe in some way you think, like, this liberated woman. I bet she's a fucking tiger in the sack. I bet you she's going to show me all the secrets of the world. And then she's just like, um, no. No. Right. I, yeah. I am mad at my <laughs> own uterus. Maybe she had a rule, no sex if she's smoking. She's always smoking. (laughs) Now, Alcott did get the two of them together after Bettinelli had traveled all the way from Georgia. But HPB snubbed him. She snubbed him? Snubbed him straight up. Straight off. But Bettinelli continued the pursuit. Wouldn't take no for an answer. And HPB agreed to marry him only after Bettinelli threatened to kill himself if she didn't. Uh. I need you! I need you, Helen. Can you imagine screaming that at any point? I've never met a Helen where I would I would feel like that, where I'd go, Helen, I can't, I can't live without your body. <laughs> she said that she would marry him if and only if they would never, ever have sex to the point where they may as well pretend like sex didn't even exist. Of course, yeah, 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 definitely, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, he thought he could eventually wear her down. But when Bettinelli couldn't keep his passions in check, divorce proceedings were soon put in motion. Yeah, she she ma- told him the deal, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. And you know the old-fashioned, what it means couldn't keep his passions in check, is that he did the old dowsing rod in the morning. You know what I mean? <laughs> Where you just wake up and just lightly, you brush the morning wood close to the leg and go like, uh? <laughs> Are you enticed? (laughs) Later, Blavatsky would claim that the whole thing had been the work of a black wizard, a beast or a devil that had taken possession of her body. She said she blacked out one day, and when she awoke weeks later, she found herself living with a handsome Armenian who treated her as if she were his wife. Hmm. This is where she's like Lindsay Lohan, yeah, <laughs> where she just b- blacks out and wakes up next to a very rich Armenian man on a boat. Yeah, <laughs> I'm always, I've always been Team Lindsay. I think she's kind of fun. But even though Bettinelli was all in when it came to Blavatsky's powers, her only real acolyte at this time was Henry Alcott. After leaving Bettinelli, Blavatsky moved in with Alcott at 23 Irving Place, uh, just across the street from uh, where Irving Plaza is today. Of course, I know that area very well. There, in Alcott's post-divorce abode, HPB instructed him in the ways of the masters, explaining that the source of her abilities were connected to the ancient elementals, and if he was willing to make the necessary sacrifices, he could control these elementals as well. Egregonians, y'all. It's an Egregonian fucking problem, dude. Wow. And today's sacrifice is 
get me a bunch of mac and cheese <laughs> from oh that was that mac and cheese place i love yeah, that that's one. probably closed that's so sad i love that little place uh but hpb this is where it really begins mm-hmm. this is her because now she's got all caught her number one student who is ready and willing she is slowly mm. but surely becoming the teacher that she always kind of envisioned she would be the she will be the master mm-hmm. to Olcott. According to Plavatsky, controlling the elementals meant celibacy, sobriety, and vegetarianism. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Even though Plavatsky herself could never quite give up on animal products. Remember, <laughs> she subsisted mostly on a diet of fried eggs floating in butter. She's living Ooh, like yeah. Dan Aykroyd in nothing but trouble, and then this guy's <laughs> gotta eat a bunch of kale? He's gotta eat a bunch of kale. He's gotta walk the walk. Meanwhile, yeah, she gets to live like just sticking the fucking this big floppy eggs. <laughs> you like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. If there's anything better than getting a few of your favorite things from McDonald's, it's getting a few of your favorite things from McDonald's for less in the McDonald's app. Mm. Delicious. Order in the McDonald's app today. Right now, only in the app. Enjoy a breakfast sandwich for just $1, like a sausage McMuffin with egg. Offer valid one time per day from 429 to 512.24 at participating McDonald's. Must opt into rewards. But after a while, Blavatsky was no longer contented with just one student. Going off of Alcott's devotion, she began to build what would eventually become the Theosophical Society, which would mm. teach Blavatsky's occult beliefs to anyone who was willing to put in the work. It's called Hogwarts. <laughs> <laughs> it's not called Hogwarts. <laughs> now, the Theosophical Society was, like most things occult, an amalgamation of a whole slew of existing ideas. One part came from an anonymously written book called Ghostland, which was all about a secret occult society. That sounds... Have you read that at all? I haven't read it, no. I have not read Ghostland, but there are other things that are very similar to it that talk about it. They talk about in a... In the most occult way possible, a fictionalized story about a thing that might have been real. Mm Mm-hmm. According to the book, this society used various techniques such as mesmerism, magnetism, and most effectively, nitrous oxide to induce spiritual states of consciousness. Cool. Which has been around since the beginning of time. There's a very good... Look a little bit into the Eleusinian Mysteries, which was what they call the the Greek mystery schools, which they, again, they don't know what they, if they believe it or not. And they worked on a central mythos, right? A story, an allegory that they would tell that would be all about hidden knowledge. They basically told Demeter's story of Persephone, where Demeter 
she had a daughter in Persephone, and Persephone went and basically was was going through a field of flowers mm-hmm. and got sucked into the colorless world of Hades. And it's about the allure between the two. It's about the live, like burgeoning cycle of life mixed with the death cycle. It's it means many different things. But they would a lot of times what they would do is it was a bunch of smart slash rich people, a part of the Greek like upper societies, and they'd fucking huff shit from the ground. They would go and fucking huff up all the fucking weird chemicals, like weird sulfur and shit, and then trip balls. And come up with stuff together. Damn. Yeah. And of course, her other daughter, Sephora, did the first ever <laughs> makeup test. She was a makeup performer, which is great. I love that. Well, I mean, this was supposedly just one of a number of secret societies that went even further back beyond Greece. It went back to ancient Egypt, and it was supposedly composed of high-ranking nobility. These people studied the Kabbalah, they studied philosophical occultism, and they studied practical magic all to physically manifest spiritual entities and achieve altered states of consciousness. Cool. HBB was also influenced by the Hermetic Brotherhood of Luxor, which taught what they called an occult correspondence course. They invented Zoom teaching. (laughs) (laughs) The course was run by an early proponent of sex magic named Paschal Randolph, but unfortunately Randolph shot himself in the head. In 1875, oh. the Hermetic Brotherhood of Luxor has an interesting past too, because it's entirely ma- it was entirely made up for a while. It was put into a dictionary of the occult as first as some like Hermetic Order of Luxor, and then the Brotherhood of Luxor, both of which were just fucking made up. At some point during her studies, HBB was asked about the Hermetic Brotherhood of Luxor, and she was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, that's real. I know those guys. Uh, yeah, they're <laughs> figuring out shit, right?" And she pretended like they were real. Meanwhile, in life. A group of dudes got together and created a real version of the Hermetic Brotherhood of Luxor, which came independent of her thought. So huh. then you wonder, what is, who got the idea first, and right. what is that magic? I don't yeah. know. Well, it seems like it is to me. Yeah. But this idea of a cult for the masses combined with the secret societies of Ghostland and the ideas of Edward bulwer Lytton concerning what spiritualism really was helped form the basis of the Theosophical Society. The only thing they needed to do was drum up a little interest. So Alcott released a collection of articles, mostly about HPB, called People from the Other World. Soon after, Blavatsky, not so coincidentally, received word from Master M that it was time to drop the spiritualist act and speak openly about occultism. Ooh, it's a big step. Huge step. Also, not so coincidentally, Alcott started receiving communications from the masters, but those communications were decidedly more solid than the etheric messages sent to HPB. Alcott was getting letters, oh. mostly from Master Serapis Bay. And if you're getting a little confused as to which master is which, just know for the purposes of listening, they're all pretty interchangeable, okay. except for the main guy, Coot Humi. Yeah, yeah they, they may not even be real mm-hmm. oh. but it, it but there is real as you, uh, y'all all y'all real as you want to be bro yeah mm-hmm. now the overall message of the letters from the masters to henry alcott points towards the possibility that maybe just maybe it was blavatsky herself who was either writing or dictating these messages that were supposed to have come from the ascendant it was all the crumbs <laughs> in the uh, it was the crumbs <laughs> and the butter <laughs> slick the butter yeah. patches on each one of them but he used to get i mean I try, I found a couple of these letters. I started looking through. These things are are they are thick. Yeah, cool. They're thick. I mean, so 
if it was her, she still, it took a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. The headline of these letters was that all caught should have courage, be hopeful, and above all, be patient with HPB and do everything he could to help her in her mission to bring occultism to the masses. Oh, yeah. She wrote that. <laughs> she wrote that. <laughs> But these letters were also sometimes just straight up practical commands. I mean, how you get shit done, man? This yeah. is how she just she made a physical form of Siri. <laughs> Help Blavatsky get a divorce. Borrow money from your ex-wife's parents to finance the mission. Maybe think about a partnership with Blavatsky's ex-husband if he has any money left. And wow. he'd read these letters out loud, and then you know you have HBB going like, "That's a great idea." <laughs> Damn. We should do that. Wow. Interesting. What a coincidence. Now, the first society that HPB and Alcott tried to start, the Miracle Club, didn't really amount to much. They were supposed to hold private seances to investigate psychic phenomena, but mostly they just ended up arguing with their medium over payment. Mm. They actually tried telling the, like, we're paying you an experience. Hey, man, got to. That's how all business started. Do you remember? We, I think we even said that to Travis at some point. I'm pretty sure. At the very beginning, we're like, Travis, no, you're going to see spending so much time around all these these fonts of creative energy is going to make you a better, not just a better employee, but a better person. I don't know if we were able to do that with Travis. I think he demanded money immediately upon meeting us. No, he's smart. Back in the day when when Travis came on, it was just me and him, and he got $100 a week and uh, free burritos. Hell yeah, bro. (laughs) And that was, of course, in 1911, which was a great year for the railroads. Um, No, it's honestly what Vice does. It's 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 how Vice pays you. Well, HPB and Alcott's Miracle Club only lasted a few weeks. But soon after, Alcott and HPB had a moment of clarity at a lecture about the lost science and wisdom of the ancient Greeks and Egyptians. They had attended this lecture with a new chum named William Judge. And the subject of the lecture was the adepts who had designed the Great Pyramids using carefully guarded occult wisdom. The concept of ancient aliens and occult wisdom when it came to the pyramids, this shit is nothing new. This is 150 years old. Oh, okay. But they actually were closer to some version of the truth at the time, which, like, now we know that the pyramids were actually built by artisans and architects quite a bit. And so they knew at the very beginnings that the people that built these giant structures were what they call adepts. Mm. They had, like, they had natural paranormal ability. And they used that, which could have been at the time, what seemed to be highly paranormal, was actually just like the beginnings and true understanding of geometry. Mm. Yeah. And they did make a good point about, you know, knowledge being lost because at that time, people looked at the fucking pyramids and they thought, how they do that? Uh, yeah, how they do that? <laughs> well, I still look at them and wonder, uh, and of course, uh, geometry, uh, fool's science. Uh, that's what I call it. <laughs> <laughs> over it. <laughs> Over it. Over it. From what it sounds like, Alcott, HPB, and Judge talked through damn near the whole lecture. Because as soon as the lecture was over, Alcott stood up and announced to the crowd of 17 that he, Judge, and HPB were creating a new society then and there. They're just biting this guy's whole crowd? Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, man. We saw immediately being like, these guys are fucking suckers. We, I got the talent. I got the know-how. We're sitting here. He, we're sitting here talking and shit. So you're not obviously fucking, you don't hold my attention. HPB's got a hair 10 times the size of this guy. Wow. <laughs> and while the others, the guys in the audience just sort of sat and watched, Alcott was made chairman. 
Judge was made secretary, and HBB was content to have no title at all, because HBB was bored to fucking tears by organizational details, whereas Olcott seemed to fucking thrive in that environment. In today's mm. nomenclature, HBB is not unlike myself. She is a creative. <laughs> um, she's a creative. Her job is to inspire and bring ideas. She can't be scheduling and know how to record everything, and she can't, like, know all that tech shit and know anything about how to do taxes or, like, <laughs> how to build a, a structure or any of this fucking bullshit. She didn't do this. She provided the words and the sounds. <laughs> right. Well, that's very important. It's much like Rowdy Roddy Piper never uh-huh. gave him a championship. Yeah. He didn't need one. No. His character was so big. But they all caught, that's why, you know, she usefully, she, she did choose, and they also kind of went into their roles, where Olcott knew he had to be the fucking, the guy to put it all together physically. HPB allowed herself, now you see, like, yes, it may seem kind of lazy, but it's the opposite. It's, it's, so, it's, smart, it's working smart. She's starting to become a master, which means you can't, you have to be this, the power behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And so, it was at that lecture on September 13th, 1875, that the Theosophical Society, which still exists to this day, was founded. Oh, all right. I mean, it's the type of religion nowadays, it's the type of thing that you meditate long enough that you become a white person that thinks it's cool to wear a turban. (laughs) (laughs) It it is, uh, theosophy is, uh, you begin to wear wood jewelry if you you start to go long enough. I'm sure a lot of emails are sent. There's a lot of email chains. Now, etymologically... The word theosophy means wisdom of the gods, Hmm. and it's sort of hard to pin down exactly what theosophy is, and that's kind of by design. There is, however, a mission statement still used as a guide by branches today, and it's a good message. The purposes of the Theosophical Society are, one, to form the nucleus of a universal brotherhood of humanity without distinction of race, creed, sex, caste, or color. Pretty fucking progressive for 1875. Yeah, because sometimes when we form these so-called brotherhoods, um, (laughs) it can go awry, especially on the racial front. (laughs) Two, the study of ancient and modern religions, philosophies, and sciences, and the demonstration of the importance of such study. And three, the investigation of the unexplained laws of nature and the psychical powers latent in man. Cool. It's pretty broad. Yeah. It's pretty broad. Yeah. And the, but because again, it starts fairly general. You call, you're invited to a meeting to go to this thing where you assume you're going to hear some lectures because at the time that's been kind of what had been going on. You go hear some lectures, you see a guy move a cup around, and that's what you do. Theosophy, their goal was to take it a little bit deeper. Oh, deeper, deeper. Secret mystery schools deeper. Cool. And Blavatsky said that anyone of average intellect leaning toward the metaphysical who found more joy in helping others than in receiving help and also loved truth, goodness, and wisdom for their own sake and not their benefits was a theosophist. Wow. To compare it to someone from pop culture, I would actually say, of course helped by my Trekkie wife while discussing theosophy in general, that Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise is the ideal theosophist. Why? <laughs> This is the thing. They're, this couple, I mean, Dogmeat and Carolina, they sit there. They they put a lot of Star Trek into a lot of stuff. <laughs> well, wouldn't they wouldn't, think about Star Trek more than any than any two people I've met we in our about, time? We talk, we watch and think and talk about Star Trek a lot. What about Worf? <laughs> I, I mean, Worf he, he, was. I think Worf 
technically is HPB. <laughs> yeah, good game. And then Whoopi's character. She brought people together at the bar. Well, I was talking to her about Theosophy, specifically Principle One, and she's like, so Starfleet. You know, it's it's just Starfleet. You know, it's where humanity is in the 24th century. You know, so that's fucking John Luke Picard. Number two, hmm. you know, the study of ancient and modern religions. John Luke Picard was a well-known archaeologist <gasps> and was very interested in the philosophies and science of all cultures. And, of course, the investigation of the unexplained laws of nature. Curiosity is John Luke Picard's number one defining feature. He could barely hmm. hold up his phaser. What are you I, talking about? He was he could I could not see him holding a hammer. What are you talking about? I, did you never watch TV? Oh no, I did. I did. I had the toys. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. Oh, I cannot allow you to do this to our show. <laughs> the, what, the, what's going to happen if you attack Jean Luc Picard directly? We are going to never hear the end of it ever. I think he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, theosophy is quite a bit more complicated once you get into the reading, as Henry in particular has found out over the last few weeks. Well, let's let's talk about it for a, 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 a hot second, right? Mm-hmm. Theosophy is a little different than just a general like belief. Then it starts as sort of like a general metaphysical group, right? Where yes, the main the main ingredient you need is to be as curious as a little cat, right? Yes, and that really it does help. You're supposed to want to answer questions, because mm-hmm. the idea is that if you're a true seeker of knowledge, you are sick. You are sick of how shallow the information it is that you get. But HBB would say forever how she was so sick of all of her people, because she would call them abominably literal, right? <laughs> this idea that they are constantly saying, uh, we'll prove it. Uh, show me what you're talking about. Ugh. What these, what the Theosophy movement was in my mind was that HBB decided to finally become a teacher in a secret school. She wanted, she viewed it whether it was fake or not. She collected a series of masters, had read the lore of secret schools. She felt that she had, she had internalized it, and now she saw an opportunity to do it for herself. And the Mm. way, as soon as you get into theosophy, the one thing, she wrote a book, what I didn't realize, I tried to read The Secret Doctrine, it's incredibly difficult. We're going to get into a little bit more next episode. I try to read it, it's incredibly difficult. But you didn't realize that you had to read an instruction booklet that she wrote first called Esoteric Instructions. And she wrote that she had a smaller group after Secret Doctrine came out, and she was like, all right, now I'm going to teach you how to read it in in the probable way. Because people really came to the Theosophical Society first saying like, I want to learn how to astral project. I want to learn how to throw fucking cups around. I want to do all the shit that everybody else does. And she's yeah. like, yeah, 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 yeah. But the first thing you have to understand is you have to, quote unquote, know thyself. That's like the first thing that she talked about, which is an occult principle that has been talked about again and again. But what the hell does it mean, Kissel? When do I get to throw the cups around? <laughs> I Listen, you got to do the homework first. <laughs> But what she wa- this so is like a, such tried- a bummer first day of school. <laughs> like I was I, here, I man. Know. I was like, so I thought it was gonna be fun. But listen to how rad this is. All right. So one thing she tried to do. So in the esoteric constructions, she did it for a perfect example of how we teach things allegorically, and that is how it. That is you. You're gonna hear a story, and then it means something else, and it means something far more boring than the story. But you gotta get. You gotta understand both in order to be able to move cups around Kissel. You have to understand both. So the story was a fake story or was it no, a real I just, story? No, I just needed to just, just sit and listen. All right? So here is an example of what she wrote. This is one of the central one of the central things to try to explain what the know thyself means getting to know the Supreme Buddha or what she calls essentially the Christ energy 
inside. That same line, right? Because the idea is that Christ, who if he was real, he was a part of like a series of secret teachers, right? That knew himself first. And that's the only way. Because we're a microcosm. The human body is a microcosm for the entire universe. As above, so below. When do right. I get to throw the cup Just around? Just listen to the first story. You are my tallest student. And that's why I know you're going to need the most teaching. To build the teaching up from your clotted ankles up to your red-headed dome. So here is a reading from the Esoteric Instructions. The Supreme Buddha, or Amitabha, caused, they say, at the hour of the creation of man, a rosy ray of light to issue from the right eye. The ray emitted a sound, Padmapani Bodhisattva. Then the deity allowed to stream forth from his left eye a blue ray of light, which, becoming incarnate in the two virgins Dolma, acquired the power to enlighten the mind of living beings. Amitabha then called the combination, which forthwith took up its abode in man. Om Mani Padmehu, I am the jewel and the lotus, and in it I will remain. Then Padmapani, the one in the lotus, vowed never to cease working until he had made humanity feel his presence in itself and had thus saved it from the misery of rebirth. He vowed to perform the feat before the end. His head should split into numberless fragments. The kalpa closed, but humanity felt him not within its cold, evil heart. Then Padmapani's head split and was shattered into a thousand fragments. Moved with compassion, the deity reformed the pieces into ten heads, three white and seven of various colors. And since that day, man has become a perfect number, or ten. Now, what does it mean? I was just wondering, are these credits transferable? Because I actually, my dad told me I should go to Stanford, and but this will transfer, right? I'm going to transmute your penis into a jar. I'm going to float it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But this story is actually about how important colors and numbers are to the occult. Yeah. So where are the cups? <laughs> are they like, are they anywhere? <laughs> but yeah. it's, it's, it's cool. Important. All right. I get it. Well, I, I but, mean, well, the things about HPB and the Theosophical Society is that what she's essentially working with here is the idea of DIY. Because she was not allowed into any of these other fucking occult societies because she was a woman. Mm. And when she wasn't allowed into these occult societies, she said, fuck you. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do it myself. And she did it. Cool. 140 years later, it's still here. That's awesome. But it's interesting about how these old stories reflect what actual shamans went through. They would talk about the the, the, the trials that they have to go through to gain the hidden knowledge. So one of those would be they would take the fucking peyote. They would take the, 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 the cyclocybin. They would take this up and then they would go into these very intense like body racking sort of like hallucinations about being destroyed endlessly by giant gods. Mm. And what this basically shows is that the Christ energy is constantly rebuilt inside of us. We, it has been split throughout all kind. We have to find it inside of us first to access it. And it's that Padma, it's the Padmani that moves the cups. Sounds like you just described sperm. <laughs> As above, so below. Yeah, yeah bro. That's fucking... I but seriously, it. Kizzle, you just fucking... You did it. Yes. <laughs> you just did it. Yes. Oh, I see the cup moving now. <laughs> so a couple of weeks after founding the Theosophical Society, HPB traveled upstate to Ithaca and began writing her first great work, Isis Unveiled, Ooh. 
partly because the master wanted it, and partly because no one would publish her articles after her star fell a little. Upstate. Well, well what happened there? Just, just people just kind of lost interest. Okay. Upstate, Blavatsky stayed with a family with occult leanings named the Corsons, who actually had very few positive things to say about HBB after her three-week stay. Oh, come <laughs> Hi- on. Hiram Corson estimated she smoked 200 cigarettes a day <laughs> and called her, quote, a great Russian bear. <laughs> that's not, that, that's kind of <laughs> nice. Mean. That's, that's not mean. bad. Everyone loves that's a bear. very, very mean. But yeah, it's difficult to have her as a roommate. Yeah, yeah. She's slathered in butter and cigarette smoke. Yeah, that's a smell. It reminds me of a college roommate I had. Very nice guy. Well, I don't know about that, but he smoked a lot. It reminds me of what I smelled like in college. Mm. I was a two pack a day mm. smoker back then. Dog meat. That fucking photo of you being like, I guess the cigarette ban didn't work. Like uh, that 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 newspaper no. article you put out from your college is fucking great. No, the story behind that picture is that the college newspaper and the college radio station were in the same building and we just spent all of our time smoking out in front of the building and bullshitting with each other and the reporter, the photojournalist who was assigned to that story was too fucking lazy to walk through the campus to find a good picture so he just took a picture of the assholes who hung out out front <laughs> well I mean <laughs> he had but the thing is that he had two assholes right up front, <laughs> right up front. A picture <laughs> two assholes getting getting degrees in radio <laughs> no my degree was in English and Dirk's degree was in philosophy <laughs> <laughs> they somehow they have to, he has a wife yeah. he, has a, he pays for a whole bunch of shit dog <laughs> mate I'm doing really well, and Dirk's doing pretty good, too, That's from last I heard. Hell yeah. The only time Blavatsky left the house in Ithaca was for a photo session costing $13 that was charged to the Corson family. To pay them back, HBB drew a portrait of Corson's dead daughter using stationery she stole from the president of Cornell University. What? <laughs> nothing nothing helps soothe over people than drawing a picture of their dead daughter. Just ask the Ramses. When I went to John Bene Ramsey's parents' house, and yep. they, they, I mean, I haven't received a letter back, but I, I keep sending pictures I drew of John Bene again and again and again in heaven and in hell wow. on roller coasters at the bar. What she'd look like now? Some with clothes, some without. Yeah. Well, at this point, I think they owe you. I think they owe you quite a bit of cash. That's an I owe you. That's just as good as money. (laughs) Well, Hiram Corson loved the portrait, supposedly drawn without HPB seeing an image of the dead daughter. Corson's wife screamed the moment she saw it and had the thing burned, calling it the work of the devil. And HPB left the next day. Uh, the, all the dead daughters look the same. I don't, <laughs> yeah, that's what I don't I'm know. saying, man. What, is, what I mean, am I supposed to I take away know. from this? <laughs> How long's the daughter been dead? Do you even remember really what she was looked like? Was it just I mean, a skeleton? Like, that looks just like her. <laughs> Thing was, though, HPB also came out of Ithaca having done quite a bit of work. She'd written 25 pages a day, quoting long passages from books that were neither in her possession nor in Corson's private library. Damn. Blavatsky claimed that she used clairvoyant reading, which was the ability to see passages from books on another plane of existence. And she didn't and she did quote correctly, which 
even if the clairvoyant reading was bullshit, was still a testament to her fantastic recall abilities. That's incredible. Also, like, seriously, what is the difference? I mean, isn't that... If you, can, if you have a God photographic it, man, memory... You are totally getting it. <laughs> I'm full of cum and ready to go. Really are, Kissel. You've come so long, man. This really is so have. great. This is, but the, it's weird, right? Because I don't know. I don't know what the difference is. Because on some level, how did she remember that much? I she would act it out too, right? Like she would. We were gonna get to. She would literally sit and like squint and read the shit, right? And it's interesting to see. Like I, I, I don't know. I don't know how she memorizes all these things and. That's not yeah. fascinating. And, and this, it, it, it's not like she's recalling something simple. She's not recalling Dr. Seuss. Like, right. she's recalling arcane volumes uh, written in Greek, and she's translating it to English word for word. I, I can, I mean, I can even recall Dr. Seuss. I don't want green eggs and spam. <laughs> I, uh, is, we're going to have to take you to the hospital. <laughs> but if you look at the CIA, I've been reading a, a little bit more of like of the original documents because the CIA recently did a freedom of information release of a bunch of documents of them working with people for remote viewing, like trying to see Mars and do this kind of stuff. And it's interesting to see it's kind of similar, like what they would do to manipulate, like isolate you. The free writing, the free writing was actually a big thing that the CIA themselves would use that they stole from the Russians to train people how to do telekinesis. I mean, it, it's interesting. Yeah. Tele- weird. The clairvoyant training is there. Yeah. Hmm. So once Blavatsky was back in New York, she moved to a place in Hell's Kitchen on 47th and 8th, which she would call the Lamasary. Cool. She's oh, right that's so funny by. you say lamasary. That's actually cooler than the lamasary. I thought it was called the lamasary, which is <laughs> no, a that's where fucking Jared is... Kushner lives. Oh. <laughs> no, a lamasary is like a monastery, except it's filled with llamas. It's a very pretentious name to give your fucking apartment. There's literally llamas? No, llamas is in like Buddhist llamas. Oh, I'm so <laughs> freaking confused. That's the Kissel I recognize. <laughs> <laughs> I literally was like, what? No, wait. She's right by Rudy's as well. Free yeah. hot dogs because the owner's brother owns Hebrew National. <laughs> no shit. Is that why, why you they get free the hot dogs there? <laughs> I had a what? great conversation what with him once. What are you once. talking about? Rudy's in Hell's Kitchen. You don't know Rudy's? You get free hot dogs there. I never went to. I honestly never went to Hell's Kitchen. Really, I didn't hang out that in Uptown. Eight, eight dollar, eight dollar pitchers of a of a knockoff light beer mm-hmm. and free hot dogs. Man, when I was broke, we used to go there all the time. Can't beat it. Can't beat it. Wow, it's well, a big pig outside. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the Lamasary, Blavatsky built her own little occult haven in what would be her last home in America. Even bought some monkeys. Brought some monkeys in there. Okay, these are actually monkeys, right? Yeah, they're actually monkeys, cool. and she left it. But when she moved out, she like left the monkeys there for the next tenant. Like Anton LaVey, she was not a good caretaker of exotic animals. No. She got a bunch of monkeys that essentially just their hair all fell out, and they just died inside of a New York apartment. Must have smelled <laughs> great. Oh. But she, uh, she made this place like an occult TGI Fridays, where it was like shit hanging from the wall, like fake skeletons, big right. weird like pyramid models, stuffed owls, all this stuff. It must have been cool as hell, except yeah. for all the weird dying monkeys in it. <laughs> yeah, all with lung cancer from secondhand smoke. Man, I bet she could have taught all those monkeys how to smoke, and that could have been another revenue stream. That could have been. 
Well, Blavatsky sequestered herself in the lamasery for the next six months, working 17-hour days with no outline, no plan, and no reference books, all working on her first great work. Wow. Problem was, though, these drafts were god-awful messes outside of the quotes, uh. full of baffling punctuation and confusing trains of thought. She apparently could not understand punctuation. No, just it, couldn't get it. It, it is David Icke's The Biggest Secret. There is no <laughs> it, punctuation It, it is every one of these books yeah. that I have tried to read. It is always like this. Because what she's going to teach you afterwards is that you need a teacher to teach you to read it. So that's how you create a job for yourself. Ah. Yeah. So Alcott worked as her editor, suggesting changes and sometimes rewriting entire passages. Then he'd come back to Blavatsky with the edited work, which she would either approve or throw away and try again till she got it right. Ooh, this guy is firmly cucked. He, <laughs> he's no, he's he's a, he's a follower. Yeah, he saw enough to believe her. That's what I honestly, I truly believe that during the, the beginning, especially the very beginning of their relationship, when she her powers were at their full extent. He saw some shit. Right. Mm -hmm. But really, when it came down to it, the ideas Blavatsky was developing were fascinating. What she was trying to do here was marry ancient knowledge with modern scientific ideas like evolution, mm -hmm. while also reframing the conversation concerning spiritualists and their interaction with the so-called dead. It's just interesting to see how she understood that the way of the future was the middle way. It was to bring the science in. So that she can, her shit can then carry forward into the future. Mm -hmm. I mean, it seems like a religion, many religions were totally rejecting science at this point. So that's interesting. She was available for it. Exactly. In the end, the 1,200-page work outlining these ideas was called Isis Unveiled. Amazingly, the book was a huge success for its time. Sold out of its initial print run of 1,000 in just a week. Hell yeah, she's back, baby! <laughs> yeah, back, she's baby! Back. She's in the business! Well, technically, this is she's not back. This is the first time the world's hearing of her. Hmm. Right? So this is her introduction. This is like the beginning of her. Of her. Like, at this point, before that, she was sort of a, like a I local... You. She's a local character. She was Bernie Mac playing the clubs, and now she's got the Bernie Mac show. Hell yeah. One of the best shows ever, by the way. See, part of what Isis Unveiled was trying to do was to teach a universal type of humanity that rejected intolerant fundamental forms of religion, which she saw as ultimately destructive. Mm -hmm. Instead, she said that all religions sprung from a common source, hermetic philosophy. So saying that Christianity or Judaism or Islam was more true than the others was missing the point. I agree. But at the same time, she also pushed back on the theories of Charles Darwin. While she did believe in evolution, as Charles Darwin laid it out, and this was back when evolution was new. Like, this was not when, like now when it's, you know, just fucking accepted. Like, this was back when evolution was a new idea. She accepted it, but she said that Darwin was missing something essential in his works. Charles Darwin wasn't accounting for the evolution of the soul. And nor did any of those monkeys she bought turn into people. <laughs> So, hey, you tell me. Yeah, and she was trying to make them people. She was feeding them eggs and butter, and she was giving them <laughs> shoes, and she was making them smoke, yeah. and they just were, they refused to vote. It's ridiculous. <laughs> well, Blavatsky wrote that hard science, the idea that we are merely, quote-unquote, trousered apes, was hmm. dangerous. 
But it's not like the fundamentals. Because, you know, the fundamentalists, they take evolution as a personal insult. You know, right. like, I wasn't no monkey. Monkey didn't come from no me. I ain't a, I'm better than a monkey. And they think that their thoughts come from God. <laughs> I drink soda. And if you give a monkey soda, it dies. Oh. So, well, Blavatsky took issue because that viewpoint was limiting. She wrote that hard science removed any and all spiritual thought from the equation and sort of stuck us in the mud. Essentially, she was saying that believing in evolution as the end-all be-all actually prevented further evolution from happening. I see well, where she's going with that. Totally. But now we are, we're starting to hit that crux even now. The, I, we, yeah. we see it again and again. The idea that of just one empirical machine-like world mm. where we just, you know, just cells and blah, blah, blah. It's a very, like, it's like a kind of a factory world on one side. And then her idea that you can take all of the things that you're saying about science and apply it to magical thought as well. Because she's saying, like, there's a whole other side of the universe that you're denying. You're denying the astral plane and we got to bring it in. Yeah. Okay. Now, if you're a bit of a rust coal, you know, the idea of a mechanical universe sounds exactly right. You know, there's plenty of people listening who believe that, you know, humans are nothing more than animals who happen to reach consciousness through a tragic accident of evolution. Flapdoodles! <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> but in Blavatsky's estimation, humankind's transformation from monkey to man was merely the next step in evolution on our way to what we might call godhood. So what happened? Did man just sort of walk out one day like um, the now the now infamous uh, character from Usual Suspects? Ka- Kaiser Sose. That's right. And then just slowly start to stand up straight? What are you talking about? Evolution, my friend. <laughs> Evolution. You know what I will say is that do you really want an answer to that? <laughs> because there is an answer to it. There is some. There is a form of answer to it, which is the idea that all energies sprung from the beeness, the ending the unending and unknowable god force called the Parabrahm, where a just the sheer infiniteness of it means that if it wouldn't be infinite if it couldn't spontaneously create life. So is the cup like in the kitchen <laughs> or where would they be? Well this idea that monkey can become man can become God was actually written about in the Kabbalah thousands of years ago. Yeah, get your shit tight. It's Kabbalah time. <laughs> Here's get the message. Kabbalah's money, bitch. I love when Madonna had made it when she was Kabbalah when she did that. Here's the message, and it's very simple. And this is from the Kabbalah. A stone becomes a plant. A plant, a beast. A beast, a man. A man, a spirit. And the spirit... A god. Whoa, cool. Yeah, fucking man, that's fucking. That's what I've been Light fucking talking about this whole fucking time, man. <laughs> but, but, but what does that sound very similar to? Mormonism, uh, Gnosticism, right? This idea that which is what they kind of all lump together as well. It's going to become more and more succinct in the secret doctrine. But this this idea of there is an un you literally can't know it. Yeah, unknowable mm-hmm. godhead. There's a das god. There's an unknowable frame to all reality that shits out creator gods that are allegorical spiritual mirrors of us as a body and then everything that you need want to know about the universe you can learn just from your horrible body kissel thank from my you. horrible body i can literally learn from my folds the fo- you see this meat under my tit? yes jupiter could be in there <laughs> 
<laughs> wow. Now, Matt Hardy, broken Matt Hardy, a great pro wrestler, is playing on this theme right now in AEW. Oh, yes, really? He can teleport what? now. <laughs> What? He really is. Yes, Matt he's Hardy. He's talking about Gnosticism? Yes, he's really going all in. <laughs> and furthermore, Blavatsky also made arguments for mesmerism, hypnosis, psychometry, ancient science, elementals, prehistoric civilizations, magic, just about any fucking wooey-woo subject you can think of. Blavatsky talked about it in Isis Unveiled. Cool. But she also never said that any of that canceled out hard science. Rather, her central message was Shakespearean. There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. Horatio Sands was <laughs> it was in Shakespeare. <laughs> People love him. They love him. <laughs> they hate Hamlet. They, they hate Hamlet. <laughs> oh my God! The only Hamlet Give I like. Give me a fat guy. That's what I like. Well, he's I like lost a, a lot guy. of weight. Hurt his career. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There needs to be a Shakespeare bread and bre- bed and breakfast that has the Hamlet, a ham omelet. Let's call it the Hamlet. I fucking hate I I'm just I'm just so I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately though, while Isis Unveiled was a success sales wise, it didn't necessarily translate to a whole lot of new members for the Theosophical Society. Although they did end up getting a couple of celebrities. Who? Thomas Edison. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. What? They got their fucking Elon Musk. Of the time. They got him. Yeah. The guy who electrocuted the elephant, or was that the other one? Was no, that, that Tesla? Was, no, that was Edison. That was abs- yeah. 100% Edison. They got the guy who electrocuted the elephant. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we got him. He'll kill anything. <laughs> yeah, well, Edison was doing some experiments like about paranormal phenomena at the time, and he figured this Blavatsky woman, uh, she's got a handle on it, so I'll join the Theosophical Society. You know who else joined? Abner Doubleday. I, I loved him. I loved him in 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 the the catcher the the one movie where he <laughs> he invented baseball. Oh, <laughs> his and he and his job was that he just he'd go like he would put a, the the chew in and go, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's it. Then in 1878, Helena Petrovna Bovatsky became an American citizen. USA! Congratulations! USA! USA! <laughs> so she cast off her Russian citizenship and then left America for good. Yep. Wait, what? The, oh. But. Oh, what but, happened? However, Why? that might have been a part of her plan all along. See, according to an email we got from one of our listeners, Blavatsky may have been denied entry into Tibet decades earlier because the Brits, who are competing with Russia for rule over Central Asia, might have thought she was a Russian spy. Ah. Yeah, Dip. Because she was the son, she was the daughter of an aristocrat in the army, you know, like she was very obviously very Russian. So there was historical precedent for a woman being turned away at the time, especially a Russian woman. But as an American citizen, Blavatsky could travel the world, specifically Central Asia, without the baggage of European entanglements. And soon after she earned citizenship, she left America forever and moved to India. And it's in India where we'll pick back up for the conclusion to our series on Madame Blavatsky. She made it! She finally made it! Finally made it. And of course, there's all kinds of major fuck-ups and bad decisions to come. But also... The Secret Doctrine, her most in, her most uh, famous work. Hell yeah. So how old is she at this point? What are we talking here on her? Uh, for, close to 50. Close to 50. Yeah, All between right. 45 and 50. Wow. She is a special woman. We're going to finish her up because we realized we didn't want this episode to be five hours long. We started going <laughs> through it. And we want to get into d- deep as we can. 
into Atlantis. Yeah. The root races. We're going to find out uh, just how troubling some of her information was <laughs> and how some of it was was twisted, right? Yeah. And some of it was interesting. But again, remember, all of it is supposed to be taken with a uh, a sense of creative license. Yes. And that's and you t- you take these things and you interpret for yourselves. But the one thing that is not interpretable is how her hubris led to her downfall. Yep. And then the, the end is going to be the sad ending of HPB, which is what what America and what people around the world know her for and why her reputation has been tarnished so thoroughly. Well, yep. and much like me, if I fall, I ain't getting up. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Madame Blavatsky, that is awesome. What a what a life this woman lived. Yeah. I mean, this is a life in three parts. There's the Damn. there's the the veiled years, there's her time in New York, you know, really her figuring out who she is essentially in the occult world, and then uh, the third part is her in India and her kind of fucking that up, but uh. bringing it back and writing one of the most influential books in occult history. She sort of becomes an Indian Rachel Dolezal for a period of time, but we'll yeah, forgive yeah. her of that. I say that that's her acquiring character. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, I forgot about that mistake. <laughs> wow. All right, everyone. Thank you all so much for listening to our episodes on Madame Blavatsky. Thank you all so much for getting the book. Uh, mm-hmm. Thank you for the wonderful response. It's been incredible. And also, you can get some new merch at lastpodcastmerch.com. And don't forget our live show, lastpodcastlive.com. You can watch us dance and play around in front of your eyes. Yeah, speaking of the uh, the merch on the live show, the Jeff the Talking Mongoose shirts, the Do It for the Devilment shirts, uh, just go to the website and click on pre-order. That's where you find those. Uh, the pre-order ends on 6-4-2020, and they will not be sold after that. So get your Jeff the Talking Mongoose shirts now. Honk, honk. <laughs> oh. And let us know. Honestly, we're taking We want to do more of these flash sales because I'm a T-shirt person. I'm collecting my, my, my own fucking hell of I'm, I'm collecting my own T-shirts. Mm-hmm. I love them. So if you have an idea for a t-shirt always send it to our ways we love seeing what y'all say about merch and we're i heard we've heard people asking for pint glasses we're trying to figure that out mm. we're trying to figure out a couple other little things we'll yes out what we're gonna do absolutely and uh and if you do create something for i don't know etsy or whatever it is feel free to tag us and we'll be happy to help you out and in whatever your endeavors are as well there was a great kick-ass uh ring and then there was that kick-ass mug i mean y'all are just whenever we can help we we absolutely love to help the small businesses and the artists of course because we're in this together y'all help us and we help you and i fucking absolutely i love i i you know we're very lucky very lucky have talented and cool sexy listeners i've seen fan art from other shows and you know we're very lucky lucky. (laughs) you guys are unbelievable yeah yeah, yeah. there's our stuff is good i I don't know how we got that but man i just love this i love this story so much yeah i love hpb and i hope y'all do too because if she can do it we can do it absolutely and thanks for supporting all the shows in the last podcast network uh no dogs in space summer strange we're gonna be doing it all fucking summer long it's this is just the beginning of it yeah we're gonna, yep. be, get, we're gonna be getting weird all fucking summer so i hope you guys are i hope you understand how much homework is involved here yeah <laughs> so y- y'all should start reading some of these books so that you can start telling us what to say uh i'm just here to move a cup <laughs> You missed the point, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for supporting the last podcast network. And never forget, hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Again. Magoostalations. Hail me. (sighs) 
You okay? You smoking again? It's one of these days. I'll come to you for a favor. You cannot <laughs> refuse this favor. You're going to end this with a horrible De Niro impression? <laughs> oh, it's, uh, no, that's Godfather. That's <laughs> <laughs> Marlon Brando. <laughs> no, no correlation to Honestly, anything. No, I just like saying it. I say it a lot at home to myself. <laughs> this show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.